This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. My name is Mo Stewart, I'm your host and I'm joined by what is probably good to be called the A-Squad by Matt Addison and James Martin. Um, we're not going to go too heavy on the Leeds match. We've already had the Blood Red podcast out there that did all of the post-match stuff. James, I'm sure you're very pleased about that considering we still haven't forgotten you said Leeds were going to finish sixth in the league. <laughs> I think I'm going to forget that. I'm going to be mentioning it a lot. But we wanted to do something positive because even though Liverpool got a good win away at Ellen Road, there was a kind of a feeling of a being a bit down because of what happened to Harvey Elliott. So we're going to park that. We're going to think about the positive thing that happened in that game. And that's Mohamed Salah scoring his 100th Premier League goal, bringing him into the 100 club, which I believe now has 30 members. But only four of them got there quicker than he did. A ridiculous 146 Premier League games to score 100 goals. So we're going to celebrate Mo Salah today. We're going to think about his career at Liverpool, how he came in, think about some of the things that made him a great and maybe look into the future and what it holds for him as well. So, Matt, I'll start with you. Let's rewind back to the very beginning of the Mo Salah and Liverpool story. It's season 13-14. Brendan Rodgers Liverpool are in a tussle for the title alongside Arsenal, Manchester City and Chelsea. And we are maybe looking at bringing in a few extra players to take us over the edge, one of whom is Mohamed Salah. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen and he ends up going to Chelsea. What do you remember about that time? And were you upset that we didn't get him or did you think, were you not really that bothered about him? I think it, it, it's a hard one, isn't it? I think at the time you, you were disappointed because I think Liverpool just needed one more. It wouldn't necessarily have, have had to have been him, but it needed to be needed to be That's someone just, just 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 to give them that that little extra extra option, wasn't it? Um, but obviously, Mohamed Salah, Liverpool miss out, and, and he goes to Chelsea, and you kind of think, well, maybe maybe we dodged a bullet there. Almost, it's it, he didn't look particularly good. Obviously, we all know that the circumstances around that and and all of that sort of thing, but. Yeah, it was it was at the time not one that I don't think any Liverpool fans would have been would have been massively bothered about. No one could have predicted what he became, and obviously, if he'd have signed for Liverpool at that time, would he have become the player he is now? I'm not not necessarily sure that he would, because he wouldn't necessarily have got the same game time and and all of the rest of it. I think he is a classic example, really, of a player needing to go away and, and learn and play and, and develop, and eventually it will click. But clearly, both Liverpool and Chelsea had seen something in him whether either of them thought he would become what he is today I I doubt to be honest I think they probably thought he was quite good but maybe not quite you know the best player in the world type thing but um yeah I think it's it's one of those that that worked ultimately in Liverpool's favour even though maybe when he signed for, for Chelsea probably didn't feel quite like that. It is interesting really when you think of it in that context because we hear James a lot about Mo Salah's early days back home in Egypt and even when he first joined Switzerland. And a lot of that time, he was marked as a future superstar. But that's within the context of playing in Egypt and playing in Switzerland. Obviously, when you get to the level of English Premier League, it's a very, very different bar to go to say whether you're going to be successful or not. But as Matt mentioned, he went away after Chelsea, went to Serie A, uh, rehabilitated himself with Fiorentina and then with Roma and had had a very, very good season with Roma when we did finally sign him. 
So fast forward to that moment when Liverpool have got him in, were you happy? And also, what kind of player were you expecting? Yeah, I think just to briefly go back to where you're saying about the Switzerland days, I think even with Basel, you had that kind of Champions League reason to be optimistic that he could be that kind of high-level player who steps up even in the Premier League and at that top level. I mean, one of the reasons Chelsea was so keen on him was because he'd ripped them to shreds in the Champions League group Mm -hmm. stage, if I remember correctly. Um, But yeah, of course, those are one-off games. There's people who are impressing the group stages and you never hear of them again. It happens. So um, yeah, there was still... A big step to be made and as Matt touched upon the journey that he ended up taking was probably the right one for him in terms of the timings when it all all worked out certainly panned out well for Liverpool but yeah at the point of the signing um yeah I was excited um it's it seemed like a, a decent deal it didn't seem like we'd really underpaid or overpaid obviously in hindsight it's like wow that was a bargain but um <laughs> at the time it's like yeah okay he's he's done well for like a significant period of time now like you say he was really good with Fiorentina they were desperate to keep hold of him but Roma got him on, on the permanent deal. And then another very strong season there. Again, there was the Champions League record. So Serie A is quite a strong league, of course. But equally, you want to be able to see them doing it in Europe against the very best, which to some extent he was. Um, yeah, did we think he'd come in and score 32 Premier League goals? No, of course we didn't. Um, but yeah, it, and interesting you ask about the type of player you thought he was going to be. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it's been too surprising in the sense that um, he's been that kind of that kind of wide forward presence. We've always known Firmino is going to be that withdrawn player, which puts more of the the onus on the on the wide players to come into those areas. But up until that point, Mane had been playing on the right, so there was a little bit like, oh, are we going to play him as a kind of traditional touchline hugging winger on the left? So obviously, those mm. those notions quickly went out of the window. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite exciting really because there was that uncertainty because everyone was excited with how Mane had been getting on. No one wanted to harm that. Um, so yeah, it was a case of you know what's Klopp got up his sleeve for for this guy, and yeah, the the answer soon became apparent. It was a big deal that part with Mane though, wasn't it, Matt? Because Mane had come in the season before, <clears throat> and probably had very similar question marks around him as to whether he could make that step up, and he'd answered them all handsomely in his debut season. So then for to us to think about moving him, who looking like our best attacking player, moving him to accommodate this new guy. Seems quite a radical move at the time. But the beauty with Mo Salah was he didn't really give anyone a chance to question it. He scored on the opening day, as he tends to do. And pretty much uh, from the early days, he was scoring goals. I remember there was one conversation around the game away in Man City, where Manny got sent off and we lost 5-0, where there was a couple of early chances that he missed in that game. And there was a conversation around the fact that he was missing chances. But I think what we didn't realise at the time is that the volume of chances that he would create meant that it was never really going to be a problem. He was still going to have a very healthy scoring rate. I think the the Mane thing is is really interesting. I think had Liverpool not signed Sadio Mane previously, I think I would have been a bit more wary about them spending that sort of money on Mohamed Salah. But obviously Mm -hmm. we'd seen how good... Sadio Mane was and I'd already been burnt thinking that Liverpool had spent far too much on Sadio Mane what on earth are they thinking so it was kind of a, a similar type deal of well if it worked for Mane maybe it's, it's maybe the right thing with with Salah as well but you're right to, to say obviously you know moving Sadio Mane to be honest I always thought Mane was was better on the left than he was on the right and I, I was slightly surprised that he played on the right for Liverpool obviously Felipe Coutinho really the, the reason for that with him playing on the left and, and Firmino through the middle to try and fit those three in. But 
Yeah, I think it's it's one of those. Mohamed Salah has, has always been questioned. I think he's been, even even today to an extent, he's still questioned in terms of, of how good is he and, and that sort of thing by certain people. I think that's obviously laughable to, to think that. But as you say, he came in, he scored a, a header, wasn't it, against Watford, I think, on, on the opening day of, of that season. Not stopped scoring since. Just, yeah, every time there's, there's a question asked, he answers it. And I think that's... Look, if, if people keep questioning him and he keeps scoring goals and he keeps answering them, long may those questions continue. And even yeah. at that Watford game, like he could have had more. So like that that question, <laughs> yeah. like it's always it's always been there. Like I was actually at that game and it was just like it, it was very promising. And he got the goal, of course, but it was there's straight away that sort of fear of, you know, he could have had could have had four here. And but then like if once you keep banging them in to a certain extent, you're just like, well, you know, never mind. Like <laughs> if you if you take a few more shots to score. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it's not quite Mane levels of you know ten shots to get the goal, but you know if you if you're getting in those positions and and making the chances, then mm-hmm. then they're going to come. And that was that was literally clear from, from the debut. Like it was straight away. This guy's going to score goals, even if it takes him a few shots to get it. Who cares? Because he's going to. I mean, I wouldn't have said he's going to get to 100 goals in 150 odd games, but you know there was it was already those indications were there right from the off. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I remember the biggest thing after that game was we were all talking about the defensive issues that meant that we conceded three goals away at Watford and how that was going to be the biggest problem Liverpool have. And then suddenly we weren't talking about that anymore. We were just talking about that fellow who just kept scoring goals and scoring goals and scoring goals. And I want to bring us all back into that time when he was basically turning into this megastar, this superstar, because... We can sometimes get caught up in our Liverpool bubble with these things, but this went beyond Liverpool. He was this global superstar. He was on the cover of Time magazine. He was on murals and walls in New York. He was uh, the hero of pretty much all of Africa, not just Egypt. And he was changing minds. He was making people who don't care about football talk about football. He was invading other spaces. He was just a phenomenon. And... I struggle to think of another time when Liverpool have had someone who dug that Matt. Can you think of any others? No, it's it's really hard, isn't it? It's it's sort of been something that I've been thinking about the last few days with Cristiano Ronaldo and him going to Manchester United. Liverpool have already got somebody who is at that level. And I think you, it's interesting that you mentioned there that the Liverpool bubble of kind of, we always sort of think of things through that Liverpool prism. And sometimes that exaggerates how good things are, but sometimes it kind of hides just how big a global superstar this is. It's very easy, you know, particularly living in the city, being close to Anfield, close to, to Liverpool, close to, to Mohamed Salah, geographically at least. It, you, you do kind of forget the impact that he obviously has in Egypt. He has as as you say, across Africa, across the world, everyone knows who Mohamed Salah is. And mm. it's it's almost a unique case in that, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo has, has moved clubs and, and has always been this superstar and has always had this following. Mohamed Salah only sort of grew into that role himself and, and kind of engineered that himself through his, through his performances. Mm. And it only really came a, a little bit later on in his career. Obviously, he was slightly older by the time he'd got to, to that point. But... Yeah, it's it's hard to to think of anybody else that has had that sort of impact because it, it is remarkable. And I still, you know, we, we said it before about him being underrated. I think that's a big part of it. We we underrate him as a footballer, but we underestimate what he's done off the pitch. And 
there's almost a bit of me, to be honest, that wonders whether Liverpool have got enough out of him commercially and, and marketability-wise and in all sorts of countries. We talk so often about the night kit deal and stuff like that and you know how much Liverpool have, have still got to, to catch up in terms of, of revenues and stuff to, to Manchester United. There's, there is, to be honest, almost a bit of me that wonders whether they could have made even more of Mohamed Salah mm-hmm. given the sort of status that he rightly sort of holds, really. The, the, the fact we haven't yet seen an advert with Mohamed Salah and LeBron James is criminal. It is criminal. Mike, pull your fingers out. But I think we can talk in this global phenomenon a little bit more about him as a man as well, because I think that really did have an impact on how people felt about him. He was always seen as a very positive character, very happy guy. He looked like someone who, when he came back to the Premier League, he was ready to grasp the opportunity and to prove that he was better than people thought he was. But he didn't do it with negative energy. He was doing it with positive energy. And I think that was really important. Something that I've been able to witness from living in the city is that people from African descent, people from Muslim descent, they walk taller, their chest out because of Mo Salah. He has basically given everybody a lift in their lives because he's been celebrated so much and cherished by so many people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Like like you say, there's rarely have ever been a Liverpool player who's so kind of transcendent of football in that respect. Like he's genuinely changed attitudes for the better off the pitch, and like that's more important than anything he's going to achieve on the pitch, which is saying something given the achievements he's done on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I don't think you can really say too much more than that. There's there's not there's not much else to add. But yeah, the the fact that he can change the minds of people, and you know, if he's if he's battling prejudice even in in a small way, then and that's just a huge plus and it just says it all about the player and the man really i can't remember the, the exact statistic but there was there was something like islamophobia had gone down by two thirds or something in the time that i can't remember exactly what it was but it was something you know yeah. massively substantial that you know people had, had studied and looked at and, and come to the realization that it's probably quite a lot down to, to mohammed salah which you, you can't really say that about too many footballers. I mean, I mean, if for anyone who's in any doubt, go look up the lyrics to the Mo Salah song, the dodgy <laughs> one. Uh, not dodgy the band, not dodgy the outcome. Uh, and I'll tell you all you need to know. Uh, let's go back to the pitch now, James. And obviously, he is part of what I like to call a three-headed monster. Uh, the front three will always be known as those three forever, even when they're long retired. Let's talk about his relationship with Bobby and with Sadio. You mentioned that first game at Watford. They all three scored in that game and they did that quite a lot over the course of the next two seasons in particular. Um, what is your favourite thing about the way that they link up, let's say? Yeah, I mean, there was a period, wasn't there, where you'd be on like Skybet or whatever and you'd be looking at the, the odds of all three of them to score in a game and it's like two to one. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost expected they'd all get on the score sheet. Um, yeah, there was... It's it's, a, it's an incredible relationship, particularly, as you say, almost... It's, a, it's an interesting one because, of course, the relationship's matured over time. So, in a, in a sense, the understanding's got better. But the kind of explosiveness of it was, was really in those early years when Firmino was, I, I guess, slightly more of that kind of... He's, he's never been a typical number nine, but he was more inclined to get into those positions. So you'd really have all three of them kind of lurking in those really dangerous areas at once. Um and then you've got him, whilst while still being there, you've got Firmino as the link man as well. So you just the kind of abiding image, you've seen it so many times, those kind of clever little flicks and dummies, and they, they just seem to know where the others are going to be. Uh, they'll, you know, some of them they won't get assists for because they've just left the ball because they know that 
the other ones running in behind them. And it's just, it seemed to click almost instantly, um, which was the remarkable thing. It looked like they'd been playing together for a long time after not very long at all. Um, so, yeah, it's especially as we were talking about earlier with Mane switching positions, it was it was incredible really how, how quickly that all gelled. And, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's going to be the the prevailing memory of, of the Klopp era, really. I mean, mm. we don't know how much longer Klopp's going to be here, even if he's still here for a few more years and the front line gets refreshed. I still don't think there's ever going to be a more kind of iconic, yes, that was the Klopp team, than those front three. And, um, of course, Salah has taken up the majority of the slack in terms of goal scoring. But, yeah, the, mm. the way they work as that kind of triumvirate is really what's brought Liverpool all this success. 100% it has. I think all of us can sit here now and think of fantastic moments where they've combined for goals or setting each other up and stuff like that. It's Again, it's one of the best things about them as a trio. One of the best things about Salah himself, though, Matt, is he's always there. I mean, that's possibly why he's found it easier than some to get all of these goals. But he's his durability... I want to tell everybody I'm touching wood when I'm saying this. His durability is remarkable. I mean, this is a world where he gets fouled a lot. I mean, we saw it literally yesterday. There are players who seem to believe that it's all right to get, put him in a headlock, to wrestle him to the ground. And he always gets up and he always keeps going. And I think that might be, if you ask Jurgen Klopp, his favourite thing about him. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, it's it, you, you can't really put a value on that, can you? The the ability to to just not get injured, basically. I don't know the the exact number of games, but it must be one or two games that he's missed since he, he's been at Liverpool in in that period of time is is just remarkable, and it's just it, it underlines really why when we talk about Mohamed Salah's new contract and a new deal moving forward. This, there shouldn't be any sort of question marks. I know there's, there's question marks about certain players because of their being at, at certain ages and he's not quite 30, but he's, he's edging closer to, to turning 30 and, and that sort of thing. But again, I don't, I don't want to reference Cristiano Ronaldo too much, but it's it's almost a similar sort of situation there of, yes, Cristiano Ronaldo's 36, but really he's not, as he, he's really sort of 32. Mohamed Salah is, is almost similar in that regard in that, Physically, he can can do what he's doing now for at least the next two or three seasons. And even if he drops off a little bit, he's still going to be better than most of the other players in the Premier League anyway. So it's uh, it's just remarkable, isn't it? Like you say, it's it's quite possibly his favourite thing. It's it's just something that you can't quantify. And it is something that Liverpool look for in players that, that they go out and buy. It's something that they do a lot of research into to make sure that these players are, are fit and, and durable. But Sometimes you, you just hit a bit of a goldmine with, with him. You, you couldn't have predicted that he was going to get injuries, but you equally couldn't have predicted that he would just not miss any games at all. It, it's just just absolutely incredible. I think the um, Ronaldo comparisons are justified in this because I think what they do have in common is an almost um, monastic view of their own bodies, what they put into it, what they do with it. Every single second of every day is maximising the body so they can be available. So I'll let you off. But that's it. No more. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Most so as well, one of my favourite things about him, uh, every time someone questions him over something, he knocks it down. It's like, oh, well, Mo Salah hasn't scored against X team. Mo Salah scores against the team in the next game. Mo Salah hasn't done this. 
He always does it. If you look at every statistic and every time someone talks about another player as being fantastic because of X, Y, Z, it's always only Salah. If you go in onto Twitter and you search for only Salah, then you'll see a lot of statistics where there are lots of very good players and then there's most Salah way above the rest. And James, he's undoubtedly a man for the big occasion. He scored in every single Champions League knockout round, including the second minute of the final in 2019. Uh, he's got a rate of 31 goals in 61 games against the rest of the big six. I've included Arsenal with that because I'm generous. But it's more than just that. I think it's just, we talk about his um, ability to stay fit. I think that's just another mechanism of his insatiable hunger for goals, his mentality. Everything is geared towards getting more, getting more, getting more. And it's almost an underrated part of his whole attitude, I think. I'm surprised you haven't included Leeds in the big six there, mate. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, okay, we can make it a big seven. Of course, but yeah, no, it's it's a tricky one because I do think when players get injured, sometimes we're quick to think like, oh, is it a mentality thing? And it's not like, you know, some players are just injury prone and I don't think it's really fair to use that as a stick to beat them with. Um, but, you know, it's, that's not to say it's an invalid point because I do, I do get where you're coming from. There is just that kind of relentless need to to score goals, and like even when even when he is forced to miss a game, then he'll come back and he'll, he'll make sure he scores in the next one. So we said he's barely missed a game. You can barely remember when he's missed a game. Well, obviously he's missed the the Champions League semi final second leg against Barcelona, and then like you say, the final he comes back, it takes two minutes to to get the goal. So yeah, like I think that's the main thing. It's that kind of response to setbacks. Um, I don't think that's necessarily what's kept him injury free, but like, yeah, definitely there is that kind of that. It's not even a desire; it's that need to to keep going, to to score the goals, and to drag the team to success. I mean that he doesn't he doesn't tweet all that often. He doesn't, you know, there's not much he says. But then there was last year, wasn't there, where he just came on very sort of sincere tweets, like "This isn't good enough. We promise we will turn it around," and then yeah. he, he almost single handedly dragged Liverpool back into Champions League qualification. So. Yeah, that's just that that sums him up as a player, really. When a man who doesn't speak very often speaks, most people listen. And I think he has that power in his voice. Uh, you mentioned the Barcelona game, Matt. We can't not talk about the Never Give Up t shirts as well, which he came in. And I know that I say it kind of tongue in cheek, but it's just one of those things whereby he knew that he couldn't affect the team on the pitch. So he knew that he wanted to try and project as a positive image as much as possible. He didn't want it to be a Liverpool 1-0 down and cutting to him in the stands looking all sullen and upset and sorry for himself. No, he, he believed in his teammates and he wanted to project that. And he, I mean, I'm not going to credit him for any part <laughs> in the match, but again, it shows like what James was saying with the tweet. He has this attitude to say there is no... Uh, accomplishment that they can't achieve with the goodwill and hard work. Yeah, yeah, he, he's got that. He's got that mentality, and he's very, very switched on as well, isn't he? I think the t-shirts, the tweets, all of those sorts of things. There's, there's a deliberate message. There's a reason that he, he doesn't tweet very often, as you say, because when he does it, it really does mean something. And I think that, that that's a big part of of him as a leader, and that's something that we've seen him grow into as as a Liverpool player. It's not something that he'd really done all that much before previously in his career. 
think he maybe did it a little bit with Roma because he was maybe one of the, the better players. He was scoring the goals and, and being a leader in that regard. But I think we've seen him grow in this Liverpool team into, you know, obviously Gini Wijnaldum has now moved on. There's been other players who've been leaders who've moved on. And, and he is very much one that, I mean, he, he said it himself, hasn't he? He's disappointed at, at times not to be Liverpool's captain and, and things like that. It's it's very much part of, of the package with him now. He's he's a leading player in that he leads by example, but he's also very much a, a leader in, in other ways as well. And I think that's that's something that he's had to kind of grow and, and move into probably because of the sort of status that he has within Egypt. And I think that's probably pushed him to, to do that and he didn't really have any choice in it. But yeah. I just feel like you know the, the mentality that he's got. Even if he did have a choice, that would have been that would have been the path that he went down anyway. So he's just a, he's a natural fit for for that role, that talismanic thing, the sort of the the nature of of that and all of the the stuff that that brings. He's just perfect for for that as well. Which, yeah, as I say, with with one Eldon having moved on, with one or two other players no longer there, or, or certainly won't be in the future. It's it's just another another box, isn't it? It's not a box that we talk about very often with him because there's so many other boxes. But it is it is an important aspect of, of what he brings to, to Liverpool. And I'm sure you know if you asked Jurgen Klopp about that specifically, I'm sure he he'd probably use one of his phrases like, "Oh, you could you could write a book about it or, or something like that." Because <laughs> yeah. it, it's just so it, it's such a big part of him, but it's a part of him that we just don't talk about because there's so many other bigger parts that that ultimately are probably more important. Yeah, in the long run, that's probably true. I think it is tough, though, because like you say, there are so many different parts of him. I mean, we haven't really spoken about his passing, which I think is really underrated. We haven't talked about his assists, which I think is something, again, which is, it goes under the radar, considering he's considered just a gold machine. But let's move into the future now, James. Um we are all hoping and I think expecting that he will sign a new deal in the not too distant future. I'm not going to go too deep into the speculation of what could happen if he doesn't, because as I said, this is a positive show, good vibes only. So let's talk about what he could achieve in a Liverpool shirt. Say he does sign, say he signs for at least the prime years of his career. So we're looking at least the next three years We'll say there might be a possibility for more in the future. What kind of goal tallies do you think he can set himself? Um, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Like he'll just want to score as many as possible. Whether he's the kind of player who's going to set himself a target, well, maybe he is. But um, yeah, it's 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 hard. Like let he's been here what four four seasons now, seventeen eighteen. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, um, and that's that's brought him ninety eight Premier League goals with Liverpool. Let's say he's got another. Generously, another four years—not necessarily at his peak, but certainly at like at high enough, high enough levels to to get the goals. Um, he, he he won't want to slow down, so he'll probably be saying to himself, "Yeah, well, let's just double my tally. Let's let's get to 200." Mm. Um, whether that's possible, who knows? Because that 32 goal season obviously had a big part in in firing him up the up the table, and the way teams have defended against him, they've wised up a little bit. He's often doubled up, even tripled up. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be harder to get those hit those heights again. But any season where he scores less than twenty is certainly one which he won't be happy with at any point in his career from now. I think so. Yeah, that's another eighty goals right there. Four seasons at twenty goals. So so yeah, he'll want to be pushing that two hundred Premier League goals mark, which is really really rarefied air at that point. Mm. But, you know, he's he's so good you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against him. No, I think there's Fowler, Gerard, and Owen 
who are above him in terms of all-time Liverpool's Premier League goal scorers. I believe Fowler's in the like the one sixties. So yeah, that's that feels really achievable. Yeah. The thing with it, Matt, though, is that we talk about this goal tally, and that's obviously the the start of this conversation because he's achieved it. But he's going to be thinking more medals really than goals, isn't he? That's the way he approaches the game. Yeah, 100%. I think as much as he is very driven and he's very focused on on himself and he's furious if he doesn't get the golden boot and, and things like that, ultimately, if you said to him, well, you, you get to 199, you don't get quite to, to 200, but you've got four Premier League medals, then I'm sure he'd, he'd probably probably go with the, the latter. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I think with Mohamed Salah, the thing is, you've got a player there that will guarantee you at least 15, if not 20, 25 league goals for the next three or four seasons. And with Mohamed Salah, that puts you in contention. Liverpool have, have got a team, haven't they, where you kind of think that they'll be there or thereabouts unless something calamitous like all of the centre-backs get injured all at once for an entire season. Oh, they're going to be there. Happen, yeah, no, I mean, unrealistic, I know. <laughs> um, but, you know, as long as something like that doesn't happen, they're going to be there or thereabouts. And with someone like Mohamed Salah, for all of the reasons that we've spoken about, he, he could just make that difference, couldn't he? He's, he's a world-class player. He's a player that could could just score that goal that, that edges Liverpool over the line for, for a title or two. So, yeah, look, if, if Mohamed Salah's here for the next four seasons, I'd be surprised if, if Liverpool don't win the title at least once in that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> uh, OK, before we sign off, I'm going to ask you to make a really tough decision. I want your favourite Mo Salah moment. And we'll narrow it down to the Premier League because there's literally still so many. <laughs> I mean, I've been sitting here trying to think of it and I knew I was doing the show and I've narrowed it down to about eight. So, James, I'll let you have first crack. Yeah, it's it's so difficult. It's I might go with a bit of a, a bit of an odd one and it's, you know, there's probably a bit of recency bias in there, I'm not going to lie, but I think the fact that it came within the sort of adversity of last season almost made it better in some ways. It's, it's when he scored against United to kind of wrap the game up and just the, the pure passion of that celebration. It's like this... Mm. This is someone who gets what it means to to score against United, to wrap the win up against against you know the old rivals, and and he knew the context of the season and how important it was to get into the Champions League. And you look at those years where Liverpool were just not in the Champions League at all. That that hiatus from from you know Europe's elite, and obviously people wanted to qualify, but it, it never felt as though the crop of players really thought they were at that level. Whereas Salah, he's just raised standards at the club. He he knows that Liverpool are a club that belongs at the highest level at the top table. And that means he needs to get us into the Champions League. And that was just all apparent from the goal and from the celebration. So, yeah, it was, you know, there's so many I could have picked. There's better goals. There's, you know, there's, you know, beautiful assists. There's, there's so many things. But, yeah, for me, that's that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw the question. So. See, that's that's what I wanted, that, that instinctive answer. Answering with your heart, not necessarily your brain. <coughs> Matt, it's mm. your turn. I've had too long to think about it. That's my problem. <laughs> I think if you hadn't have said if you hadn't have said the Premier League, I'd say that the Champions League one at the Etihad was was the one for me. Oh, yeah. That's that's the one that immediately mm. springs to mind of like an, an iconic goal and an iconic sort of picture of the celebration with everyone clambering on top of him. Mm-hmm. That I think is is the one. But the Premier League, it's, oh, it's really, it's really, really hard. There's, there's two, there's two goals that stick in my head. The other one that I'd mention is when he scored four. It was four, wasn't it against Watford? Watford game. In the snow, in yeah. the snow. Yeah. That was, that was an iconic one, but it wasn't 
it wasn't four brilliant goals. It was just you know four goals in, in one game and, and what that meant. But the other two that I was going to mention, one was the, the Chelsea one, which he puts into the, the top corner was that the season before last. Um, and I think the season before that was the Tottenham one where he inside the yeah. box, inside stoppage time in the second half, dribbles around about four players, puts three players on the backside and then chips the goalkeeper and, and puts it in. So, yeah, one of those two. I'm not going to pick one, but that that would be it. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact is, is that we could pick so many. It's It really is. Uh, and uh, listening, once Guy Sports eventually get around to doing their most Salah Premier League 100 club, I suggest everybody get the popcorn out because it's going to be a feast of football because we have ourselves an absolute superstar and he has blessed us many, many times over the last four years and hopefully many, many more times to come. Now, all of you out there who've been watching the show, I want to know about your favourite Salah moments. So let us know in the comments. Um, James, Matt, it's been a fantastic show. We get to talk about our favourite guy. I'm going to give him one more salute. (laughs) And then I'll sign off. We'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.